No choice. The rain tapped steadily against the window, sluicing down the panes. Pale yellow from the streetlight outside shone through the moving water, making shifting patterns of shadow and light around the room. Amanda huddled in her bed, her limp brown hair cascading haphazardly over the comforter she clutched around slight shoulders. She stared at the barren walls of her apartment while her body convulsed with sobs. Tears ran down her cheeks. I killed him, she whispered. Killed my baby. Oh, God, how can you forgive me? As if answering her plea, the wind gusted and the rain beat harder. Her breath caught, and for a moment, she thought she heard the wail of an infant before realizing that the eerie cry came from the wind whistling around the eaves. Amanda put her face in her hands. The images rushed back to her as they had so many times since it happened. She'd felt so vulnerable lying nude in the examination room, the cold, clinical steel of the stirrups spreading her legs, exposing her. No protection except a flimsy sheet draped over her from the knees up. The only warmth came from a big light pointing down below the sheet where she couldn't see what was happening. How routine it had all been to the doctor and nurse. No show of sympathy, no support, while she went through a maelstrom of emotions, wondering, wondering. Is this really the right thing? she blurted. Can't there be another way? The doctor shook his head. There are no alternatives. His face showed no expression. You've seen the test results. Your life is in danger. If I do this, I'll never be able to have a baby. And if you don't, the chances are great that you'll die. The damage done to your uterus in the past has made your condition critical. He turned to the side and picked something up from a tray. A moment later, she felt him pushing his hands into her. She wanted to stop him when he did something that pinched inside her. An injection? But the words caught in her throat. No turning back now. Relax, he said in a monotone. It'll be over in a couple of minutes. Then he left the room. Twenty minutes later, he came back. She saw the flash of something long and silver. A moment later, she felt the cold metal working its way deep inside her like some insidious alien probe burrowing its way into the root of her being. The doctor shook the instrument, moved it around, and shook it again. Amanda panicked and hyperventilated when she felt her insides being pulled on. Then she felt the sickening sensation of part of her being sucked out. She heard a muffled sound from somewhere inside her like air rushing into a newly opened jar and experienced a brief moment of emptiness before the guilt rushed in, filling the vacuum left by the absence of the tiny life that had lived in her. When the doctor and nurse left the room, her emotions flew wildly, cutting through her like shattering glass. She cried, with no sense of relief, and tried to blot out the memory. But sleeping pills took a few, then lay back on the bed, fighting off the nightmarish images that assaulted her until the blackness swallowed her, allowing her to escape into oblivion. She slept, deep and dreamless, until the effect of the pills lessened, and she drifted back, 
where memories mingled, waiting for her attention. Fourteen again, and pregnant for the first time. Billy, her first love, who seemed so grown up at seventeen, had talked her into going all the way. Her first experience with sex, and she'd become pregnant. She knew Billy couldn't provide for her, but she wanted the baby more than anything she could ever remember wanting. She knew she could learn to take care of it. Then her father found out. Five days later, he flew her to a clinic someplace in New York where they took her baby from her. In comparison to the impersonal clinical sterility of her most recent experience, her first time had been crude, the doctor insensitive and uncaring. She came out of it with an infection that lingered for months. She heard the cry of an infant from another part of her mind and remembered the wind whistling around the building. It suddenly changed pitch, so it sounded as if there were two of them. She shook her head to rouse herself and felt something weighing on her, as if her whole body were covered with a lead-lined sheet that pressed her deeper into the mattress. When she came awake, the sound or the cries seemed to hover about her for a moment before fading, then a scattering of raindrops pattered across the window, followed by silence. She forced herself to sit up and peer out into the grayness. A thick fog rolled in, bringing with it billowing mists that slid along the side of the building. From out of the silence, Amanda thought she heard the cry of the wind again, then realized it had stopped. Senses poised, she listened intently. From somewhere in the distance, she heard it again, barely audible, yet distinct. She had no doubt in her mind that it was the cry of an infant. No, two, two babies crying. She turned her head to the side, trying to determine where the cries came from. No matter which way she turned, it sounded the same. She hurried to the other room to see if the tiny voices would change, but the volume remained constant. She thought maybe they might be coming from outside her apartment, so she tiptoed to the door, undid the lock, and cracked it open. No change. Hearing things, she mumbled, and shuffled back to bed. The crying didn't stop. The sound made her want to scream. She opened the bottle of pills on her dresser, shook some into her hand and swallowed them, then lay back under her comforter and closed her eyes to wait for the peace that only sleep could bring. Somewhere between wakefulness and slumber, the crying stopped, but its insistence triggered another memory. New images flooded her mind. Amanda, at 23, pregnant and wanting the baby, knowing she was old enough and responsible enough to care for it. Ken, not really wanting it, but staying with her, being supportive. Amanda, taking care of herself, eating the right things, working to stay healthy. In the beginning, everything went well, until she began having morning sickness. She tried eating more, but to her horror, she couldn't hold food down. Her weight dropped and she became dehydrated. The doctor kept her in the hospital and put her on IVs, frequently checking her eyes. Her condition deteriorated. After her fourth eye examination, his manner changed. She knew by the look on his face that the situation had become critical. What is it? she said. What's wrong? Your weight is still dropping, he said, flipping through a chart, and your life is in danger. 
we're going to have to terminate the pregnancy. Amanda felt as if she'd been punched in the stomach. What? she gasped. Abort it? I'm sorry. You have a condition called hyperemesis gravidarum. This pregnancy could kill you. Hyper what? Give it to me in English. Starvation. I'm not sure what caused it, but it may be related to the infection you had after your first abortion. I don't know. I don't have the time to find out. Ken stayed with her through the whole ordeal, sweet and supportive. After the abortion, he slipped out of her life and disappeared, leaving Amanda alone again. Her most recent loss came back to her. The doctor pushing his hands into her, the flash of cold metal, and her insides being pulled on, followed by the sickening sensation of part of her being sucked out, a muffled sound inside her, then emptiness and guilt rushing in, following her down into the waiting darkness. She opened her eyes and waited to hear the crying babies. Complete Silence enveloped her. She crossed the threshold into the other room. The apartment door sat open, its inner latch undone. Delicate fingers of mist crept along the floor into the apartment. She saw no one. The possibility of neighbor children playing a prank crossed her mind, but they couldn't have undone the latch from inside. The voices came again from out in the hall, louder than before. She knew there were three. Instinctively, she went in the direction of the mist, following the voices which always seemed to be slightly ahead. The mist thickened, and she saw a vague form disappearing furtively around a corner up ahead. Don't run, honey, she heard herself saying. Mommy's coming. She rounded the corner. The sound of little feet scampered up the stairs. The voices grew louder, more insistent. The infant's cries, impatient and demanding. Mist billowed down the stairway like a smoky waterfall. Amanda hurried and ascended the stairs, stepping out onto the roof into a surreal whiteness that covered the murky landscape. A small, dark form floated in the mist. She glanced down at her feet and saw tendrils of mist snaking around her ankles, as if beckoning her forward into the shadows. The wind kicked up, bringing with it the plaintive utterances of her children. A sprinkling of raindrops peppered her face, mixing with her tears. She looked up and saw a forest spread out before her. The mists parted, revealing a path to the top of a mountain. She made her way along it until she could see the tiny forms awaiting her. Then she began to run. She came to a cliff at the end of the path where she paused to listen. The voices of the children stopped, their forms gone. A wall of mist hovered beyond the edge of the precipice, and though she heard no cries, Amanda felt her babies beckoning. The wind blew, the rains came, and Amanda stepped over the edge. As she plummeted toward the sidewalk, she felt a swelling of unbounded joy and a blissful completeness she had never thought possible. At last, she would be where she belonged, with her children.